This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom planning software by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education. Welcome to CBO Speaks, a podcast from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO John Walda, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is for you to gain greater insight into the challenges and rewards of the Chief Business Officer role. Find out more from today's episode at www.nakubo.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CBO Speaks. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Megan Strand, your host for today, and it is my great pleasure to be joined today by Mike Gower, who is Executive Vice President for Finance and Administration and Treasurer at Rutgers. Hi, Mike. Hi, Megan. How are you? I'm excellent. It's great to be here. So if you've listened to the podcast before and people who have listened to the podcast before know, my first question, I always find it fascinating to hear how people ended up in the role of CBO. So I was hoping you could start off today by sharing your journey to higher ed. Did you, Were you born knowing you were going to be a CBO? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm, I'm one of the many, if not the, uh, the vast majority of people who fell into it quite by accident. I had completed my MBA uh, program at Duke. Uh, I was getting married, and my wife uh, decided she wanted to take a uh, master's program at University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. Suddenly, I was limited to a certain area, and I had been doing an internship with Duke uh, in an operational capacity mm-hmm. for the summer between my first and second year of the MBA program. And so I spoke to a few people that I'd worked with there, and a uh, job that made a lot of sense became available. So I got into that. Uh, it didn't take very long for me to get hooked into uh, the field, though. So uh, I, I am one of those who just fell into it. Did you stay at Duke the whole time, or did you go from Duke to Rutgers, or were there a couple universities in between? I was at Duke for about six years. Those were very good years for me to learn about the university and how it worked and what were all the complicated things for running a big university. Um, And then I went to Cornell for a short time uh, to run an accounting shop. Uh, There I was on the the state-supported side, what was then called the statutory side of Cornell, so I got to learn about the uh, the land grant mission, the uh, orientation to the state, and how that tied in with the rest of Cornell, which was uh, a, a unique experience. Hmm. Then I was recruited back to Duke, this time to go into its uh, medical center and specifically to do work with the uh, school of medicine there. And I had various jobs. Uh, in the medical school, ending up as uh, the CFO of it. For, and that, that lasted about 10 years. Spent a couple of years in consulting at PricewaterhouseCoopers. Uh, that was a, a very valuable two years. Um, I was working in higher ed consulting, mm. uh, but it was a very valuable two years in terms of uh, learning to uh, have another perspective about problem solving and, and how to address issues at an institution. And in particular, that I spent most of my time at Johns Hopkins. From there, I went to uh, University of Vermont, where I was the chief business officer for five years, a uh, smaller research university, but also a land-grant public 
and and found that as a, as a great experience. Uh, although moving from Durham, North Carolina to Burlington, Vermont was its own experience. <laughs> so, uh, from there, I went to Yeshiva University in New York in, in 2008, uh, spent five years there before coming to Rutgers just about three years ago. You mentioned that when you were with PricewaterhouseCoopers, it gave you a, a different perspective. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about, about that. It required me to uh, start looking at issues and problems through somebody else's shoes. So in particular, I was there helping a large project uh, that would lead the university towards a new set of financial administrative systems. And I was leading up the uh, research, if you will, around the, the financial management requirements uh, for that new system. And as Johns Hopkins organized this project, it was to uh, be useful to both the university and its uh, related health system. So I was a person who was jumping between uh, the needs of the traditional research university and the needs of an academic health center, uh, which included uh, a couple of hospitals. So the experience uh, of working between those and trying to find a common solution or at least a a workable solution uh, between uh, traditional academics and then academic health was uh, a, a fantastic experience, but then just learning what it was meant, what it meant to be a consultant, and come look at things and and uh, research them and recommend uh, solutions uh, was was something that was valuable when I then went to uh, back into the uh, the academic world. What would you say has been sort of a common thread across all of your jobs, whether that's a skill set or a mindset or some sort of perspective? What have, what's been the same across all of those jobs? I would say how to leverage technology to get the job done uh, better, faster, cheaper, smarter. Mm-hmm. I've been immersed in technology uh since the very beginning, uh, trying to figure out uh, a better way to do budgets or a better way to do projections. You know, I go so far back as to having one of the very early uh, IBM PCs at awesome. Duke. And, uh, you know, hard, only a few people listening to this would understand or remember what VisiCalc was mm-hmm. uh, way, way, way before Excel. That was something that was brand new in the early 80s to Duke and was a bit intimidating and challenging for people. But as technology developed, uh, there were always better ways of doing something, Uh, better ways, better information you'd get out of it, uh, a faster way of doing uh, some particular activity. And and I've carried that throughout my uh, entire career. I think that I've been one of these people who know enough about technology to be dangerous, uh, (laughs) but that I also know that I I have to team up with uh, the chief information officer to to really get anything done uh, substantively in the the non-academic side of the world. Can you think of an example maybe in the last five years or so that really brings to light what you're talking about really 
relying on technology or pushing technology in a way to make everyone's lives a little bit more efficient, even if it might be challenging? Right here at Rutgers right now, in fact, I just left a, one of my regular meetings with the chief information officer, and we are co-leading a project to put in a whole new set of administrative systems. Now, that by itself would be big enough, but a uh, th- little over three years ago, uh, Rutgers merged with most of the academic units of a, a former university, uh, the University of Medicine Dentistry of New Jersey. We are not only looking for uh, a new system, we are looking for a new common way of doing business. We were not going to bring that, uh, that group of schools into what I would refer to as old Rutgers and make them do the things the way old Rutgers did. Mm. But instead to take this opportunity, look for the best technology, the best business practices that are available and move both groups towards a, a common, better way. Uh, so that is what we're doing right now. We're going live uh, the beginning of October with a new procurement system, a new financial management system, grants management system, and we're getting ourselves positioned to do uh, a similar piece of work around uh, human resources and payroll, and then also student services in the not-too-distant future. But we've really been able to leverage technology here uh, that will give us far better management reporting, more immediate feedback and information when we're buying something or when doing grants management, for instance. The the managers in all the hundreds of units around Rutgers will have much better uh, insight on, on data that they have. And as I like to say, uh, you, know, you use systems and analytics to turn data into information. So uh, I think we're, we're, we're seeing where that is uh, getting better and better for us to do uh, in, this, uh, in this business. I would imagine that one of the challenges with doing an administrative system overhaul is just working with internal staff on that whole change process. How, how do you get to the point where people are willing to accept something new, move away from the old, and really just embrace it? Change is hard, no matter what. Uh, there are a very small number of people in reality that take to change so readily that, that it, it isn't hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a real mi- minority of individuals. Most people, uh, myself included, have to figure it out. Uh, we, we go through a, a time of, of, of doubt, of confusion, uh, with new processes, new systems, new uh, new stuff like that. And we have to, uh, from my perspective leading this project, I've been trying to, to acknowledge that for people. Say, well, no, this is not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, too often we set expectations too high. And, and I have high expectations, but thereafter we've been running the new stuff for a while. After we're used to it, after everybody's figured out how to do their jobs uh, in a different way. As much as we want to bring best practices to people, everybody has to learn those things and get comfortable with it. So setting the right expectations and setting, setting the stage whereby people can be confused, can go through uh, the, the change, 
in a, in a reasonable fashion. Not just expect that it's going to happen the next day and everybody's going to uh, have a party and say, oh, what a <laughs> wonderful thing, because that's not how it works. Right. Uh, usually it may take entire uh, cycles, whether that be a fiscal year or a budget year or, or some other kind of uh, time frame before you really get comfortable with things. And I think just telling the truth around that is the most important deal, plus uh, recognizing that you can train people as much as you want for as long as you want, but until they start to do the work, uh, they're, they're not going to, to know exactly what to do yet until they figure it out themselves, and you have to be prepared to help them figure it out. Well, we've talked about technology being sort of a common thread throughout your career, but what are you doing now, Mike, that you never imagined you'd be doing, let's say, 10 years ago? So I never imagined that I'd be in the middle of merging two universities, mm. two substantial research universities. And and this is something that uh, nothing so big as what happened between Rutgers and UMDNJ um, has ever happened before in higher education. But I do think that uh, there are more and more combinations of institutions that are happening you know, virtually every week because of the stresses on higher education and the change in higher education that's going on. Uh, but in this case, you're talking about taking one university that was almost a, a $2.8 billion thing and adding about a billion and a half dollars of activity and uh, a large number of employees uh, right into it and and then figuring out how to make it really work well. Uh, that is, the merger officially took place uh, a little over three years ago, but we are just now getting to, through the systems, through other business practices, through uh, other changes that we've taken place uh, or have in place, what I would call really doing the merger. Uh, so it's also that it, it has to be a merger. It is, we didn't subsume UMDNJ, we merged with it. Mm. So we are creating a new culture uh, using the best of the two and best things from outside and other experiences, uh, what I call the new records, transforming what we do in terms of running a university. So I never expected to be in the middle of a merger and acquisition process in higher education. But sure enough, there I am. Here you are. You're a pioneer. Well, I don't know if it's that, but we're <laughs> going to write some good uh, case study or book out of this, I believe, by the time we're done. Oh, fantastic. I wonder if you would share just a little bit in hindsight, looking back over the past three years, what sticks out at you as things you would do differently with that merger? It's almost always about culture. Mm. And I think that... Uh, as much as I have spent time working with uh, the new units that came into Rutgers, uh, if I had to go back, I would spend more time with the uh, units that were in Rutgers before the merger. Uh, we focus on, on the new units coming in, but, but the units that had been there before, uh, they're going through substantial change themselves. So the culture there is shifting, maybe not so dramatically as for the people who literally had a different employer on, on between June 30th and July 1. But um, 
it, it's nonetheless a uh, substantial change for any person at this institution. So I, I guess uh, to whatever degree I could, I'd, I'd go back and, and spend more time talking about the change in the culture differences and how, how best to go forward. Uh, I, I'd spend a lot of that, but I'd, uh, I'd probably try to do even more if I could. And then on the flip side, what do you think, looking back over the past three years, did you ha- has happened really well? You talked about one of them earlier, you know, not merging a new university system into an old Rutgers system. So it sounds like that's a success. What else do you, can you point to that you were like, wow, that really well worked well? Again, let's come back to culture. Um, I, I've been involved, this will be my fourth major systems implementation uh, over my career. And this is probably, from the standpoint of acceptance, has been the easiest one. And the reason being that everyone understands the merger caused a big change. The merger required a lot of work to create this new one Rutgers. And so there's a lot more acceptance uh, just talking about it in terms of uh, recognizing that everybody's in this together. We have to create one one culture, one way of doing things, one one uh, environment here, and that uh, that has been pretty good uh, along the way, much better than some of the change management challenges that I had at at institutions that were uh, going from you know one way of doing business to another, much less two ways of doing business to another, like we're doing here. So I, I really have appreciated that. Uh, there's there's a strong understanding why is this why is this important. There's a strong understanding of of uh, the commitment to the missions here, and uh, that's something that I like to focus on, especially for those of us who are in the administrative area. What would you say, Mike, is the biggest challenge that faces all CBOs today, whether they're implementing a new admin system or looking at other innovative pioneering things like you are, what, what are all CBOs facing that, that you hear when you talk to your colleagues? Sure. And this is very timely because I, I just came from a Nakubo board of directors retreat uh, where we were talking about that very subject. Uh, the most profound challenge to us is the, uh, is in the economic model. Uh, and, what I like to say to people is that uh, that term really should be plural and not singular, because at almost every institution, you have a variety of economic models uh, working, and you have to pay attention to what are the challenges to each of those models. So we're very conscious at Rutgers about access, and we're very conscious about the uh, affordability of higher education. So uh, I, I understand very well that you know we can we cannot uh, look to large increases of tuition as, as far as feeding the beast. Uh, somehow, we have to change the cost curve of the educational mission in in such a way that makes it as good or better product uh, for the students as it is now, but one that requires uh, a, a lesser intensity of resources to to provide that. But then at a place like Rutgers, that's just one of the business models. You know, and in fact, I could argue that uh, we have to figure that out for 
undergraduate education, various types of graduate education, professional education, continuing education. And then we have research, uh, a tremendous amount of research. And that model is similarly challenged by limits of, of funding from uh, the federal government and other uh, other governments. That is absolutely essential for the creation of knowledge for feeding innovation in our economy. Uh, but then let's move on to the next mission, uh, patient care, uh, health care, uh, where there are, uh, again, tremendous challenges on the cost side and tremendous challenges on the reimbursement or revenue side. So we have to look to all these economic models and, and we need good information and we need good collaboration with our academic leadership and, and other administrative leaders to say, what is the future going to look like? My job as a CBO is to translate that future into, uh, to be crass about it, dollars and cents. Mm. I like to refer to the term, um, you know, that that the mission is what counts, but no money, no mission. So it, the reality in in the day when we we can't just raise tuition indiscriminately, and we're seeing uh, substantial disinvestment by state governments in higher education, something has to give. Uh, so we have to figure out what is that new model, how does it work, how do we provide access, how do we make it affordable? How do we continue to bring in, uh, such as we have here, a, a significant number of first generation uh, to college uh, students, but then fulfill our research and, and public service and healthcare missions as well? Mike, is there anything else you'd like to share today that I have neglected to ask? One of the things that uh, I feel is also very important to, to talk about is the role of both mentorship and the role of uh, professional development mm. in, in my career, uh, as well as the career of the next generation. Uh, I've been involved in uh, the Eastern Association College University Business Officers, ECUBO, uh, for a long time, and uh, with NACUBO for almost as long. Uh, and, and those are vital organizations to uh, providing a way for, for me to continuously learn, uh, but as well as that to collaborate with my colleagues. If I have a problem uh, to deal with at my campus, I'm virtually certain that uh, out there somebody else has done that as well. And, and we, through Ikubo and Nakubo, have created environments where we can, we can collaborate and share and the other side is the next generation. Uh, there are a lot of us who are going to retire in the next several years. And I put myself a little bit farther out on that. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, uh, we have to both uh, make this profession understood as a, as a great place to make a, make a difference while having a good career, <laughs> as well as for those who have chosen to go, come into this business, uh, how can I help you uh, learn what you need to learn to step into my shoes uh, in a few years? So the mentoring process is something that I certainly benefited from. I can, I can think back to at least two key individuals uh, my time that 
were critical about both engendering my love for this business, but also broadening my perspective and my skill sets. So that's something that uh, I feel very strongly about and why I've been uh, so involved in professional development and and involved in uh, promoting mentoring activities and then mentoring uh, people myself. So important and a great place to end our podcast today. Thank you so much, Mike, for just sharing a little bit about your professional career and some of the things you've learned along the way. Uh, It's a pleasure. I uh, really enjoyed this, Megan. You can find out more about Mike and today's episode by visiting the distance learning section of nakubo.org. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so you can get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Mike and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of CBO Speaks. This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom planning software by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education. Thank you.